Welcome to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers. Hello and welcome to the Landwards podcast. I'm your host and editor of Landwards magazine, Andy Newbold, and I am joined today by eminent agricultural engineer, occasional musician, it's probably fair to say, and longtime IR Green member and supporter, Hugh Crabtree. Hello, Hugh. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. And I'm very, very grateful for you very kindly agreeing to take part in the podcast, Hugh. Um, Should we start from the beginning, whatever the beginning is, as you see it? Hugh, tell us a little about your background. Well, it's a very good place to start, to quote the uh, immortal words of some song in some movie from millions of years ago. Uh, Well, my... um, I don't come from a farming family. I come from a family of lawyers. So you might wonder what I'm doing in agriculture. But the truth of the matter is that um, as a nipper, I used to like uh, going around to the farm next door in the Yorkshire Dales in a lovely part of Wharfdale called Kettlewell and uh, help with the lambing and do a bit of milking on farm. And um, during other um, summer holidays, I also worked on uh, another dairy uh, farm down in Buckinghamshire. And uh, the third farm that I had contact with belonged to my uncle and aunt in County Tyrone in Northern Ireland, way, way, way before any of the troubles, of course. And in fact, my first visit to that farm, I was aged seven and flew from Yeadon Airport to uh, Nuts Corner in Belfast, where my aunt met me. I was very well looked after in the back of the Dakota by the uh, air stewardesses and uh, On all three of those farms, my keenest interest was to get behind the wheel of anything that had an engine on it. So uh, my interest in agriculture, I mean, I worked my cap off um, in all of those farms as long as there was the prospect of getting to drive something uh, on the farm. So my my first tractor drive was on a David Brown crop master in um, Northern Ireland, age seven. And uh, thus began my love affair with uh, machinery, with with engines. So that that was my interest in agriculture, and um, I spotted an opportunity to um, to uh, extend this, and um, I decided to apply to uh, Reading University to uh, do a degree in general agriculture at Reading. Uh, my housemaster at school said um, so. So Crabtree, he said, you think the answer lies in the soil, do you? And I said, well, sir, I'm not sure, but uh, I think it probably does, yes. So um, I wasn't much of an academic at school and uh, flunked my A-levels the first time of asking, so went round again, did rather better and managed to talk my way into Reading. Having done all that agricultural work during my school holidays, I persuaded them that I didn't need to do a year on farm, which they usually made people do if they hadn't come from a farming family. So I went straight up to university in 1972, uh, did um, the prelim year because I was in the Thickies group, having not got very good A-level results. And uh, then in my final year, specialised in agricultural engineering. And agricultural engineering at Reading University was not really a spanners kind of course. It was it was all a bit philosophical. I mean, for example, one of my exam questions in my finals was, you know, design yourself. Um, can you uh, suggest a design for a chewing gum manufacturing plant? 
um, and another one was um, how much energy could we extract from the River Thames. And I fortunately had remembered the equation and worked it all out down to absolute zero. And just as I was about to um, end the question, I realised what an idiot I'd been. Uh, so I, I added a sentence which said, this is the theoretical amount of energy we could extract from the River Thames, but long before we got to this point, it would have frozen up. And Alf Parrott, who ran a boat hire business down in Henley, probably would be a bit upset. <laughs> and do you think that answer sort of counted in your favour, Hugh? Uh, well, it must have done because I got a first class on this. <laughs> Marvellous. I'm just, I'm just scribbling on my pad and, and taking a guess at your age. Just, just to suffice to say, when you, when you went up to Reading, um, I, was, I was turning one. Let's put it that way. And, and for the answers on a postcard, if any, any listener wants to come in with a, with a, with a guess, there'll be, there'll be a Mars bar or something if you get both right for the age gap between uh, Hugh Cabtree <laughs> and Andy Newbold. Let's put it that way. Uh, yes, OK, uh, well... Uh, by then, I was by then I was nineteen, so um, that uh, answers the question. Sorry about that. Mm. No, no, no. It's all, uh, it's all, uh, it, it's all, it's all good stuff. Um, so you've kind of hit on a nutshell why you wanted to become an agricultural engineer on the basis that you know I think in, in line with a lot of um, little boys who like toy tractors and big tractors and little girls as well. I hasten to add, um, you know, you, you you kind of hit the nail on the head as to motivation. Um, from Reading onwards, where, where, where did it take you? Um, well, um, I um, completed uh, my first degree and uh, qualified with a BSc uh, ONS. And um, uh, I'd been already getting into uh, messing about with um, transport and events and music. Um, by then I'd got into... Uh, uh, running a, um, a Cayley band uh, whilst I was still an undergraduate. And so I didn't really have a very clear idea of what next, but because I'd had a good degree and the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries and Food, as it still was then, uh, was uh, generously offered me a postgrad studentship. Um, and I set off uh, looking to um, uh, at recovering um, waste energy from uh, power stations for carp production. Um, that lasted about a week because MAF suddenly realised they've got a couple of other people doing that and maybe they've got enough people doing studentships on that. So then um, I uh, got roped into um, working with the epidemiology group at Reading University to look at uh, recording schemes for uh, pig health pig health recording that was the same group that had successfully created the daisy system the dairy information system um, using um, uh, mini computers which were still the size of the battleship potemkin and size of a mini obviously a mini yeah. <laughs> deceptive title there mini computer so-called because of scale not because it's small uh, yeah, absolutely we were still using um, you know seven inch or nine inch floppy disks you know and uh, that didn't last very long either, because um, uh, working interestingly with the uh, Cambac group uh, of uh, pig farmers locally, who were a lot of the original PIC pig farmers, um, it was all taking a bit too long to get organised. So at the third time of asking, there was a there was a message here, and perhaps I should have given up. But for the third time of asking, I then set about looking at adding numbers to the thermal performance of pig buildings 
with my then PhD supervisor, Jeff Owen, who was uh, quite a well-known um, ag engineer um, working in buildings um, at the time. Now, it probably will come as no surprise to you that my interest in driving stuff and music um, sort of got in the way of my studies. And uh, so my PhD uh, languishes in the loft of this house, gathering dust. Uh, I never submitted a thesis. Wait, waiting, I, for the time, waiting for the right time to finish you. There's uh, nothing wrong with that. I, I can relate. Well, all uh, in good time. It's just 18. <laughs> I think it's fair to say it's a bit late now. Uh, but one of the, I shared a room with um, a guy called Nick Bird. Uh, he was doing um, some interesting work building um, loggers to uh, log uh, energy in uh, trees. So the agricultural engineer, he, he was another agricultural engineer. And uh, we were looking at, you know, how much energy does a tree um, consume when it's respiring away? And, and as many of the listeners will know, there's, qu there's quite a lot of energy going on with respiring plants. And so it was an interesting piece of work to see if we could recover any of that. And um, so he and I had already set up our own little business, um, hiring PA systems to local rock bands. And um, by then, uh, Jeff Owen, who'd been doing a bit of consultancy work and had designed the ventilation system and was casting around for some way of commercializing it, so the three of us and um, another engineer at, um, at Reading University, David Brook, um, and a guy who had an electronics business called Harry uh, Butterworth, whose brother Bill Butterworth is a well-known um, agricultural engineering journalist, still around. Um, the five of us decided we would set up a business to make Jeff Owen's research available commercially. So that's what we did in 19. 79 and in 1980 Farmex Limited was born. The full name of the company being Farm Energy and Control Services Limited but Farmex obviously rather easier to remember. and Slightly see. snappier. Yes and so I, I got sort of sucked into um, through my project I did a lot of work on pig farms um, uh, locally. I particularly um, worked with the Beecrofts on the Downs. Um, my uncle Bob Beecroft, as I came to call him, um, was an interesting chap. He had a thousand sows indoors and a thousand sows outdoors. Um, was quite remarkable in that regard. And uh, I also did some, during that time I was working with Colin Whittemore at um, Edinburgh University, who had invented, as I'm sure many will know, the Edinburgh model pig. And it was he who was looking for numbers to put into the Edinburgh model pig to score the thermal quality of the environment in which pigs were being kept. <laughs> You've gone quiet, Andy. <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the Edinburgh model pig, Hugh. That's what it is. I'm conjuring now. I'm conjuring. Um, so, so fast forwarding through Farmex, we our paths did cross I, I said sort of outside of this interview i jokingly said i think the first time i met he was in about 1992 when i was in placement at the farm energy center at farm electric center at stonely and a gentleman in a selection of different waistcoats used to come in and sort of abuse other members of staff who subsequently became known as hugh crabtree and we've sort of you know um become become mates through i agree ever since really um let's fast forward um, given that possibly the salad days of your career are over now, Hugh, shall we say, um, 
<laughs> given the timeline we discussed earlier. Um, what does your day job look like now? Um, well, um, Farmex was originally um, five um, ex-academics. Um, we started employing people. Uh, I was sort of generally managing the business from the get-go. And inevitably, having celebrated our 40th anniversary um, last year, there have been a number of changes of uh, structure. And uh, to cut um, a very long story short, I am now the last remaining sole owner of Farmex Limited, um, with the sad demise and death of uh, Nick Bird in 2013. Uh, so um, I, if you like, sort of inherited um, all of that good work that was done uh, back into the 70s and early 80s. Um, I have a co-director, um, but basically Farmex is now mine. So my, and in the more recent um, years, the um, people that I employed, the first guy that we employed was still at school when we employed him. We did a sort of youth opportunities job with him, a guy called Chris May, who actually um, is far next to a lot of people because um, he knows more about the business than I do. And between him and another um, agricultural engineer who's a member of the um, institution, Simon Leach, those two and a couple of others run the sort of engine room of the business, the production. And uh, they do all of that with without any real interference from me. In fact, they far prefer it that way. So my role now is, um, I believe it's called business development. So I'm looking for opportunities to spread the word about the technology that we have and that we are developing. So I'm um, I'm making links with, uh, you know, through um, associations, and uh, trying to um, exploit any networking opportunities. I attend, um, you know, events and so on, uh, always looking for um, opportunities to apply the knowledge that we've got, as well as the sort of blindingly obvious stuff of acting as a, as a simple sales rep for our network of uh, dealers around the UK and also managing our um, export business to the States where we send about 25% uh, of what we manufacture. I think you're probably doing yourself down ever so slightly, Hugh, as a, as a professional agricultural engineer by referring to yourself as the salesman. But, um, you know, shall we, shall we jump sideways? Given that our paths have crossed through, through sort of my, my placement and your work and the institution of ag engineers, which is a sort of shared life we have together, um, what role does volunteering play in your life? Um, well, it, it's it's reasonably significant, actually, because um, I got drawn into um, industry representation. This is pig industry representation way back. So um, the National Pig Breeders Association, if you please, the NPBA, um, was obviously an association of pig breeders um, at the time, and it was developing its commercial um, producer wing. And at the same time, they had the bright idea of involving the allied industries um, with, obviously, as a mechanism to grow their subscription revenue. Um, but also, they realised that there was an important role being played by um, allied industry companies in developing the future of the industry. 
So I got involved with that and it wasn't very long before, you know, I was serving on the, um, the relevant committee. And uh, when that um, morphed into the British Pig Association, I ended up chairing the Allied Industry Group in that. And then coming forward a bit in uh, the year of our Lord 2000, the NFU Pigs Committee and the British Pig Association's Commercial Pig Producers combined to form the National Pig Association. And I was one of the uh, people who was very much involved in the formation of the MPA and indeed was the first vice chairman of the MPA uh, and was the first chairman of the MPA's Allied Industries Group. And so that thread has run more or less throughout my time in the industry. Uh, also around about um, that time, I um, signed up for the Institution of uh, Agricultural Engineers. Um, I've always, um, always felt that um, agricultural engineers have a really, really important role to play in the application of technology in, agri in all agricultural undertakings. But obviously my particular bent has been in, um, in uh, livestock production. But there's a hugely important role in acting as the communications go between, between the prime producer, um, whether that's an arable farmer or a livestock farmer, and the technology and technologists that are, if you like, the other side of the farm gate. And Being that's the bridge. Yeah, being the bridge absolutely being the the comms bridge uh, understanding enough about um the real world of farming uh, to translate the uh, problem um into terminology that the technologists can understand and, and helping facilitate the provision of a solution to farmers and that going forward is absolutely the role that agricultural engineers need to be playing as we apply all this technology to food production yeah um tell us a little bit more and i mean you know we haven't we haven't got seven hours just to warn you in advance tell us a little bit more about your professional discipline of the world of pigs and monitoring technology um well we um from the get-go of pharmax have uh, tried to engineer us working in satisfactory solutions to the challenge of temperature regulation very briefly there's a close relationship both in pigs and poultry between feed energy use and and environmental temperature and um, growth so if you get it right you maximize efficient growth if you get it wrong the animals are either using um, too much feed to keep warm or if you get it wrong the other way they go off eating because it's too hot they lose their appetite so temperature regulation really important. When we started putting computers into pig buildings to do this job, the amount of, of code required to do the um, temperature regulation was about a dozen lines. The human interface between the machine and, uh, and setting it, that, that part is pages of code. <laughs> <laughs> because it's quite a challenge to get the... Uh, There's a lesson there, isn't there, Hugh? There's something in that statement you just made, which none of us want to accept. No, but it's the truth. Uh, but also what happens is, um, when you then um, find that uh, there's a regulation which says you've got to have an alarm system, and an efficient way of achieving that is to network these computers, and then have one of them on the network policing the network and, and ringing a bell if something goes wrong, 
it's not very long before someone has the bright idea about uh, what else could we be looking at while we're doing that um, principal function. So a very clever chap who was one of our main dealers, a guy called Mike McLaughlin, said, would it be possible for your controllers to have a meter in them which told us how successful they were being in achieving the results that the farmer was asking them to achieve? And what a brilliant question. So we put a thing called the performance meter into our controllers. And I'm here to tell you that when we let them run for a year or so, and we ended a lot of controllers in the field, so we had about 100 concurrent years of, um, of data. And when we analysed that data, we fell up our seats because we, it was jaw-dropping. We realised, having come from academia and um, having thought we knew all about how to design buildings to do the job, it turned out we knew, I'm going to use a slightly agricultural term here now, Mr Newbold, we actually turned out to know bugger all about how buildings actually performed. And it was very, very uh, sobering and um, very humiliating, actually, and but very humble. Um, so real simple question, you know, how long does your average piggery spend at minimum ventilation rate? You know, that question answered from this meter. And we, like everybody else, thought, oh, well, it'd be around about 10%, won't it? Because that's where we set the minimum ventilation rate. Well, it isn't. In, um, on average, across all buildings we monitored, it's about, it's nearly half the time is spent at minimum ventilation rate. And in buildings that have supplementary heat provided, it's more like 90% of the time. Well, for goodness sakes, I mean, 90% of the time at minimum ventilation rate, a setting which is set manually by the user, what's the point of having a controller if it's all manual? Really interesting new insight. So, then uh, by this time, the Americans were um, talking to us. We'd managed to establish a bit of stuff in the States and they, they really wanted to start recording things like feed use and water and energy and that sort of thing. So we started collecting data remotely from networks of controllers in the States. And that was in the year of our Lord, 1996. So for a very long time now, we've been collecting data remotely from the field and uh, and that's that just completely changed everything you know we used to be approached by people saying what do you think about this can you provide a solution and we would hum and har and try and apply our expertise to it what we'd taught you know what we'd be what we'd learnt at school and so on these days the answer is you know what's the data telling us have we got any data? You know, it's completely changed how we approach providing solutions to people. And actually, you know, going back to good old Donald Rumsfeld, who I'm apologised for referring to, that you're finding loads of things you didn't know you didn't know, presumably, when you start down this road. The unknown unknowns. Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Indeed. Um, given given your um, not inconsiderable experience and career timeline to date, wh where do you see agricultural engineering going? Um, well, we've obviously got um, the current thread of um, the spanner and hammer uh, people developing uh, big machinery for um, big mechanisation. Um, 
But that is now being heartily challenged by a move in the direction of autonomous operation. And it's everything's going to get littler again with the application of technology. So there's big, big opportunities in um, robotics and going, uh, going big in small scale. Yes, uh, absolutely. So that end of the job on arable uh, on arable farming um, is very exciting times for agricultural engineering and masses of opportunity in the uh, nitty gritty of um, engineering um, design and fabrication manufacture uh, service um, etc but associated with all of that is a flow of data such as we've not yet <laughs> seen huge amounts of data coming from all agriculture so another role for agricultural engineers is to be that bridge, to be that human interpreter, to do that human interpretation, to hold the hands of the prime producer who, for all their willingness to innovate in the field, um, like to have their hands held and need to have their hands held in uh, extracting maximum value from those data flows, because a big pile of numbers worth not a diddly squat until someone turns them into knowledge and then turns that knowledge into In, profit. Absolutely. I think someone once said about data, you know, it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it, isn't it? And I think we're, we're in a world where there is going to be an unprecedented flood of data because we have the technology to get it. Um, and at the moment, there's an awful lot of people shrugging and going, right, what do we do with this now? Mm. And that's, that's, that's the pressure point or that's that's the point where ag engineers sit as far as i'm concerned is is decision support interpretation and meaning absolutely so i mean it's a very very well established agricultural principle that you can't control what you don't measure um and we live that that's that's my job you know that's our job i mean i know we manufacture control equipment and i know we do a distribution job and so on and so on and so forth but actually you know, what we are doing is trying to help um, our end users, system end users, to make better use of that stuff which we are measuring and to do a more effective job on the ground. And the, um, the other thing, the other absolute principle that we've um, built our uh, business on is that it's it's the biology that matters you know we're trying to engineer systems around a piece of biology i know it's yeah. very exciting to build a new building and we all get excited about that but actually what we're talking about is trying to make the lot of the biology better both from a health point of view a welfare point of view and a production point of view yeah yep. agree with that completely M moving on in the same vein what do you think the key issues are going to be facing ag engineering? What are the challenges to our our chosen career or our discipline, if that's not too strong a phrase? What what's what's coming in on the edges? Um, well, obviously from the, the the immediate past remarks, just lots and lots of technical challenges um, for agricultural engineering. Um, we, we, there aren't enough agricultural engineer, engineers in amongst. The development consideration that's going going on at the moment and we may want to come back to that but also um all of this information that's flying around the place needless to say is being looked at and picked apart by the good old consumer 
And the good old consumer contains a range of, of uh, perception and attitude and belief um, and the influence of the consumer through food retailers is getting increasingly important. So a real challenge, you know, is how do we um, marry up all of these drivers? You know, is it the environment that's the driver? Is it animal welfare that's the driver? Is it the starving millions that's the driver? What is it, you know? And uh, agricultural engineers have, have a hugely important part to play in trying to help the process of figuring all that out. And, and, and a, the particular challenge of um, getting enough food produced, you know, the good old sustainable intensification phrase that's in widespread uh, use, um, we, we see a, a growing voice against uh, farmed animals, intensively farmed um, meat protein, for example. Um, but it's the way we've got to go. And we've got to demonstrate through the application of agricultural technology and through really imaginative and innovative engineering, that actually the housed beast is, um, you know, is, is pretty well looked after. And that we can monitor um, behavior traits in uh, housed livestock, which indicate that the welfare is is actually good. They aren't freezing to death out in a field, and they're actually nice and warm. They've got good access to feed and water, etc., etc., etc. And um, I personally think that we are going to end up with um, process control and monitoring systems that take a big account of the biology's input. So I can see a day when we've got voting bars in piggeries where the pigs themselves are nudging a bar in order to influence the environment in which they are kept. So a sort of a, a red pig, an amber pig and a green pig with a smiling pig and an unhappy pig like as you come out of this as you come out of the come out of the loo on the motorway service and you tap the satisfaction counter on the smiley face, the equivalent for the pig. Absolutely. Um, there was a there's a famous group in the University of Illinois that looked into um, training pigs to use a, a cursor positioning um, um, device on a screen in order to get uh, feeding rewards. And this was an experiment um, a university in California had done with chimpanzees. Uh, it turned out that pigs beat the chimps to the speed of working this thing out. Um, the the, the uh, Illinois University guys rang up the Californian designers of the experiment and said, okay, what next? Our pigs are doing it. They said, what do you mean your pigs are doing it? You've only had the system for three months. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the pigs can be uh, can learn and be trained to do all sorts of stuff. And I think the day, the day could very well dawn that we've got uh, pigs that, you know, go and weigh themselves, go and, um, you know, almost treat themselves, but certainly um, uh, give us some feedback on um, how they're doing. That is, that is absolutely fascinating. Now, I'm going to use the great, the great radio phrase now. And finally, Hugh, <laughs> what advice... What advice would you offer to anyone considering heading into ag engineering as a career? Uh, very simple, do it. Um, and um, by all means, if you've got a clear idea about uh, what you want to do, uh, pick a school that delivers on that. Um, if you're a spanner person or particularly interested in tech, you know, Harper Adams University, 
great place to go. Um, university that still has an ag school, engineering school rather, that uh, does a bit of spanner wielding as well as a bit of tech. But there are others, of course. There's really interesting stuff emerging in, in, in Lincoln on robotics. And uh, Newcastle's still busy, obviously, in uh, that bioengineering. But my key message is, if you're thinking about it, do it. And if you're a bit, if you're not sure that you're a spanner person or, or indeed, um, you know, um, uh, an electronics person or anything like that, never mind. There's a really, in, you know, if you're someone who's interested in data and food production, but don't particularly want to be at the other end of an oil can or a soldering iron, there's still a role to be played in, in data interpretation in food production at all levels in the food chain. You heard it here first. And Hugh, I 100% agree with you. Well, you have been listening to the Landwards podcast today, and we have been joined by Hugh Crabtree, eminent agricultural engineer. And um, it has been a treat, Hugh. Thank you very much for your time today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You're very welcome. And I thoroughly enjoyed it myself too. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. We'll be back with another podcast in due course. For more information, visit www.iagri.org. You have been listening to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers.